Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash spookshow. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. It's time for our latest spoiler-filled movie review here on the All-American Spook Show Podcast. We take a deep dive into what makes each movie good or bad. Stick around at the end. Donnie has connections linking each movie to past episodes. Will gives the official kill. Professor Smoke gives his gore score. And of course, we all give our star ratings. As they say, on with the show. Welcome to another edition of the All-American Spook Show Horror Podcast. I'm Josh, and I'm joined here with Donnie. Yo. And the Professor Smoke. Yep. Uh, Will couldn't be with us. He's on assignment. But today we're going to be diving back into, I don't even know how to describe it, Hellraiser Land. Uh, <laughs> we're going to be opening up the Lament configuration once again. And we're turn- returning back to the Hellraiser series with Hellbound, Hellraiser 2 from 1988. Um, this is a direct sequel to uh, Hellraiser from 1987, um, and and I'll, I'll I'll mention right out here on Front Street back in November, I believe it was, when we talked about the first Hellraiser movie. Uh, that was episode 81. So if you want to go back in the archives and check that out, that would be episode 81. And then in episode 82, we actually did a Spook Show Spotlight special episode on Clive Barker. So we dove deep into his career. Um, so if you really want to hear some, uh, you know, the deep background information on Clive Barker that's the place episode 82 and if you want to hear our thoughts and and kind of the deep behind the scenes stuff on Hellraiser go back to episode 81 for all that so uh, I I say that to say we won't be going deep into some of that stuff that we covered there on this one so if you want to hear more about that those are the 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 places that we will refer you to so before we get into it I guess I'll throw out the usual information you can contact us allamericanspookshow at gmail.com you know all the usual social networks. We're on, we're on pretty much every one of them. We have our YouTube channel where we do Deadline Horror News every Wednesday night and not live at 9 p.m. East. And, uh, of course, we have Patreon.com slash Show. That's one of the main event spots. Where every Tuesday we have video minisodes with the Library of the Professor. Uh, we're coming up here pretty soon. We're going to be doing Crapster Piece Theater. We do Spook Show Rewinds over there. Uh, 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 professor has uh, written articles. Uh, pr- uh, professor's retro review over there lots of cool stuff so we want you to join up patreon.com slash a spook show and of course we have our t public shop where you can get logoed merchandise and other cool designs and stuff and all those things are down in the show notes the link tree link there should take you to all those things and more so uh, you don't want to miss out on a thing so um, before we get into the background information and talking about the movie itself i'll go ahead and toss to the trailer for hellbound hellraiser 2 vision is renewed. The power is reawakened. The fear is reborn. Because they have returned. Hellbound, Hellraiser 2. Brace yourself for terror you have never imagined. And your suffering will be legendary even in hell. And horrors you can never escape. And you wanted to know. Now you know. Last year, they brought hell to earth. Now, they'll take you through hell. (laughs) 
so there's the trailer for that so uh some of the background information that i pulled up now uh, uh, the obvious uh, you know sometimes we find other titles for the movies the obvious one here is it's also known as just hellraiser 2 um, in some co countries i guess they just drop the whole hellbound bit and it's just hellraiser 2 um, but it was released merry christmas december 23rd 1988 <laughs> can you imagine going <laughs> going to the theater and seeing this and uh, on christmas <laughs> back in 88 smoke you probably did no, unfortunately, I, I never did get to see this in the theater, and I don't remember. Well, I don't. I, I don't remember the gist of whether it was was it ever related, released as an R-rated version and an unrated version, or was it only unrated? Uh, well, I mean, uh, unrated wouldn't have played anywhere near. Yeah, on on IMDb, it was listed as rated R, so I'm assuming that uh, you know it did get released, like an R-rated cut got released. But I would I would imagine because it didn't, you know, we'll get into that in a second. It didn't make a whole hell of a lot, so it probably didn't play very long. You know, it probably just depends on where you lived and stuff like that. So, um, I would imagine it probably, you know, probably played in the bigger markets and it probably wasn't on a ton of screens, especially it being Christmas time. <laughs> this weird Clive Barker Hellraiser sequel <laughs> is probably not going to get a lot of uh, play at Christmas time. Um, yeah, there's something about, about uh, movies relating to hell and the devil and Christmas because uh, wasn't the Exorcist released either on Christmas Eve or Christmas, one or the other? <laughs> yeah, I believe it was. I believe it was released around Christmas time for sure. And then, of course, you've got, uh, God, now I'm blanking as soon as I'm about to mention it, the one that we just did, Silent Night, Deadly Night. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, that was ironically released, like, wouldn't it, like, before Thanksgiving or something, then basically got pulled after, like, one week yeah. of success? <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, that was uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night. That was uh, episode... 85. Yeah, so that wasn't too awful long ago when we talked about that. It was during the Christmas holidays. That one, ironically, just remembering off the top of my head, that one, it just in that one week, basically, that it played, it made more money than this movie did. Um, yeah, it, if it had a full release, I mean, without getting pulled, it yeah. would have wrecked any more, I'm sure. Yeah. And I think even, we pointed out in that episode, too, just not to get on a tangent, but I just remembered it, that that movie made more money than Nightmare on Elm Street did that week. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, but like I said, it came out, this movie, Hellbound Hellraiser 2, came out December 23rd, 1988 by Film Futures and Troop Star and was distributed by New World Pictures. It was rated R, total runtime of one hour and 37 minutes, and on IMDb it's listed as a horror slash thriller. Uh, it was filmed in Buckinghamshire, England, in the UK, and the surrounding area, like in a studio and a couple other spots there. For a budget of what I could find estimated of around 3 million pounds. Now, apparently at the time, the pound was... Like, way less than the dollar. So, you know, that, I think this was pretty cheaply made considering for the time. Mm. Um, in the U.S., it opened uh, that weekend of December 23rd to $3.1 million. Uh, and it was actually number eight in the box office that week. I, I, I couldn't find, like, the entire box office, but I did find out what was number one that week, and it was the Arnold Schwarzenegger classic Twins. <laughs> <laughs> was number one at the box office this, that particular weekend. So I think it had been out a little a little while at that point. But uh, it went on to a worldwide gross of $12 million. So not a massive, massive success by any measure, but, you know, successful enough. And, you know, it probably uh, warned them, you know, outside of maybe the first one. I don't remember what that one made, and, and I don't have it pulled up. But uh, I would imagine the only ones that probably made any kind of uh, bank were the first two or three, and then after that. A lot of them were direct-to-video type stuff, so um, probably not much. Many more of these that we do will actually have some box office numbers. It was directed by Tony Randall, who uh, may be best known for Children of the Night, uh, Amityville, 1992. It's about time. <laughs> one, of, <laughs> one of Smoke's favorites. Um, oh, yeah. The screenplay was by Peter Atkins, uh, who also wrote, uh, uh, in addition to this one, he wrote three and four. And he also wrote uh, the first Wishmaster movie. Um, it was based on a story by Clive Barker. Uh, it stars Claire Higgins as Julia, who, who, you know, she reprises her role from the first Hellraiser. Mm -hmm. And uh, mostly she'd be known for, like, a lot of British TV and uh, a lot of stage stuff. Like, I think, I think she's done a lot of Shakespeare, that type of stuff. So she's more of a, a stage actress, you know, throughout her career. 
but you know this 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 one in the first Hellraiser were probably what she'd be mostly known for from you know especially our audience. Ashley Lawrence is Kirsty. She was in once again reprising her role from the first Hellraiser, and she's also in the third one. Although I think that's more of like a kind of a recap. It's been a while since I've watched the third one, but Smoke, do you remember like? I think that was more of a recap. I don't think she was really like starring in that movie, right? Yeah, well, like you, it's been a while since uh, I've seen the third one. I've seen the first two, even before we did this podcast, I've seen the first two fairly recently, and they were in recent memory. But yeah, the third one, it's probably been, yeah, I don't know, 15 years, <laughs> probably more, maybe more. <laughs> if I recall, yeah. I don't think it was like a starring role. I think it was more like a recap, like, oh, yeah. kind of catching you up to speed. Here's what's happened now. Let's go, you know, kind of thing. Sort of like what they yeah. did here, this one. Uh, oh, yeah. Something else about, uh, you mentioned uh, Hellraiser 3. And, um, well, uh, this one was shot, you, you mentioned uh, England, the UK. Buckinghamshire. Uh, yeah, the uh, the third one was apparently shot, in, uh, or at least parts of it was shot in Greensboro, North Carolina. Yeah, well, some of it was shot, you know, we're, we're not up to, st- we kind of all, outside of Smoke, yeah. he lives outside of the Columbia, South Carolina area. We, the the other three of us live in the Charlotte, North Carolina area. I think I know of at least one scene that was shot in uptown Charlotte oh, in Hellraiser sure. Three. So yeah, we, you'll you'll know it when you see it when we sit down and watch that movie here. You know, in a little you know, in the coming months. But anyways, yeah. So uh, uh, who was on Ashley Lawrence? Yeah, she was in the first one, this one, and uh, some bit part in the third one, and she also had a small part in the in the sixth one. Um, and she was also in Warlock 3, The End of Innocence. A number of other things, but, you know, nothing as massive, massively recognizable as these movies, really. Kenneth Cranham as uh, Dr. Channard, uh, or Chenard, however they say. I don't remember exactly how they pronounce it, but we'll, we'll go with Channard. Uh, <laughs> he would, uh, for our fans, you know, probably be, might be known from Tale of a Vampire. Uh, but he's been in a ton of, like, British television series. I would imagine he's a, you know, fairly recognizable face to our UK listeners, old Kenneth Cranham. Uh, Imogene Borman as Tiffany. Uh, she would be best be known for this and Dream Child, and she also was in a number of British TV. Uh, but as far as like her on-screen filmography, it kind of ends like around the mid-90s. Uh, she didn't really do much else in the business after that. Uh, she might have went on to other behind-the-scenes type stuff. I'm not sure exactly what she does now, but uh, her acting career pretty much ended in the mid-90s, so not awfully long after this and of course sean chapman reprises his role as frank and then the big one doug bradley comes back as old pinhead himself once again if you want to hear our deeper take on their careers and other things you might recognize them from uh, you can go back and listen to uh, episode 81 uh, when we talked about hellraiser Um, one interesting thing that i found was apparently there was these uh, documentaries that came out uh, in 2015 it's called mm-hmm. Leviathan, the story of Hellraiser and Hellbound Hellraiser 2. Now, if you combine them both together, I think it's damn near eight hours long. That is... That's crazy. That's obscene. Uh, <laughs> the first, like, and, and from what I can find, it's broke up into two parts. So it's like mm-hmm. they're talking about the first Hellraiser. That one's about four plus hours long, just talking about the first Hellraiser and the making of and all, you know, all it entails. How, how many pisses they took. I don't know. I mean, like... When you're talking about something that long, you can get really granular. You know, that's that's crazy. Yeah. Um, but then the the second one is, uh, it's about two hours itself. I got roughly about halfway through it, you know, because I didn't, I honestly found this like right before, like the day we started recording today. Um, so I'd, if I'd have saw this, say, like a few days ago or a week ago, I probably would have tried to watch uh, the whole thing for sure because it was pretty interesting. But a couple little tidbits that I was able to lift out of it was apparently Michael McDowell, who uh, wrote Beetlejuice, uh, The mm-hmm. Nightmare Before Christmas, Thinner. Um, he was slated to write and direct this movie, but uh, due to personal reasons, because apparently, uh, eventually, I, th- I can't remember, I think it was 1999, unfortunately, he passed away from uh, AIDS or AIDS-related illness. Mm-hmm. Um, so it might have had something to do with that, I'm not sure, but for whatever reason, he had to back out, and then, of course... Uh, Tony Randall went on to direct it, but uh, yeah, that that that's interesting. And uh, also, one other little tidbit that I uh, there was an interview with Kenneth, Kenneth Cranham, you know, the guy that plays Chenard or Channard. He claimed or suggested that Gary Oldman was hanging around and that he wanted that role that he eventually got. So there might there's some alternate universe out there where Gary Oldman is the uh, 
is the main bad guy in this movie. <laughs> Apparently, he had. Oh. I, I think not too long after this, he had to settle for Bram Stoker's Dracula. So, yep. that, I thought that was kind of interesting. It wasn't necessarily saying that the part was going to go to him, but apparently that he had been hanging around and kind of, he he made it seem like he was kind of jealous of Kenneth Cranham that he got the role and that this was something that he wanted to do. But I don't know. I mean, that's just according to an interview from him. So who knows? Oh. Yeah, I, think, I thought, didn't they know each other from uh, acting and plays together? Yeah. I, be- I believe that's kind of the way he framed it was like they kind of hung around in the same circles and maybe he was around something like that and then doing other things and that he had made some, it sounded like he had made a suggestion like, yeah, I wanted to do that kind of thing. So I don't know yep. if it was something he went out for or something that he expected to get. And then uh, uh, Kenneth Cranham got it. I- I'm not sure, but yeah, that's, that's, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Uh, Kenneth Cranham, uh, like, like you mentioned, uh, he, he said he was he was kind of badgered by his uh, his grandson. I think it was his grandson or his uh, yeah. He, he was kind of badgered by him um, because uh, his his grandson or his son or something uh, was such a fan of the first film, and he just he was like, "Fine, I'll take it." <laughs> yeah, that I'll, that was kind so. of what I gathered from that little interview that I watched. Is like he didn't know what the fuck Hellraiser was. <laughs> Well, a horror movie, this sounds interesting enough. I'll do it, you know. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, a lot of these people, like, this isn't really, like, what I kind of gather, this wasn't really their bag, you know what I mean? Like, they're yeah. all, like, Shakespearean stage actors yeah. and actresses and stuff, and now, you know, because Clive Barker has connections to some of these people, you know, he kind of, you know, he's he's an interesting dude and creative mind, so they, all right, I'll do it, you know, that kind of thing is what I kind of gathered. So it's, you know, you get a kind of a weird eclectic mix. Yeah. Of like British stage actors that are in the <laughs> in these uh fucking sadomasochist weird gory horror movies. It's it's kind of odd. If nothing else, you, you can say like these Hellraiser movies are very interesting. Uh, even like the background stuff that you find about it. But yeah, that's kind of all I had as far as background stuff. Did you guys dig up anything else that you wanted to uh, uh, point out before uh, going to the outline of the plot here, and then we can talk about it? I know that there. Are, I know that. I think it's New World Pictures that distributed the movie, right? They put it out to yeah. produce it. That it was supposed to have a much bigger budget. You know, it was going to be a bigger budget than the first movie. And I think it did maybe end up being a little bit bigger than the first movie, but it was supposed to be significantly more of a budget. Yeah. And uh, because New World Pictures was going through some financial troubles at the time, they had to scale it back. And then I think that's maybe why some of the, some of the more epic grand visions of hell had to be scaled back some. Yeah. I think it still turned out all right as far as the production value of it, mm-hmm. but I mean, they wanted it was supposed to have been a little bit grander. I think that went hand in hand with one of the things that I would read that, you know, that whole thread, and we'll get into the uh, movie here. Well, I guess this is, before I continue, this is a good uh, spot as any to say we are a spoiler-filled podcast, so uh, anything we say or do uh, can't be held against us from this point forward. We warned you. <laughs> We're going to uh, spoil the movie for you here in just a few minutes. But I only say that to say uh, at the very beginning of the movie where you see the, like, back in the past when um, he became Pinhead or whatever. Apparently that was supposed to be bigger and more of a story thread throughout the movie. And I think because of the budget, they kind of started, you know, like, that's basically the only mention of it to kind of lead you to what happens at the end, you know, with the picture and all that stuff. So. Yeah, uh, that was there was, then, a, there was supposed to be more there. That's one thing I do remember about part three. Kind of go. I mean, I don't remember all the gist of the details of, it, but I know that they explored Tinhead a little bit more. I think his origin story, yeah, expanded it on and, it a little bit more so in the third. And I think that's what they had. Uh, what I had read is that you know they kind of just picked the pieces up of what they wanted to be in two. They lifted it and kind of just put it, you know, weaved it into what became part three. Yum yum. It's time for a tasty and refreshing snack. We promise to satisfy your hunger, your thirst, your sweet tooth. So visit our refreshment center now. Let's go! For you, the listeners of the All-American Spook Show Horror Podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. So, since we're on the subject of old Hellraiser and Clive Barker, I thought I'd just go in and type in Clive Barker on Audible and see what uh, the first few uh, things that pop up there. And, of course, I see right away The Hellbound Heart, a novel by Clive Barker, narrated by Jeffrey Kafer. And that one's just a little over three hours long. So if you want to see the 
or listen to, I should say, the original material that inspired all of this. There's the uh, Hellbound Heart by Clive Barker. But we've also got, uh, let's see, Imagica by Clive Barker, and that one's, good lord, 37 hours and 20 minutes long, so that's a fucking novel there for you. Uh, nah, that, that's pretty thick. <laughs> Donnie, that's you. All day and all night there, buddy. Ah. And uh, one more we'll throw out. The Books of Blood, Volume 1 by Clive Barker. Uh, various uh, narrators there. Uh, that's from the Books of Blood's Book 1. Uh, that is almost seven hours long. So <laughs> not quite as uh, long as old Magica there, but still, I think that all ties into the uh, Hellraiser stuff, right, Smoke? Yes, yeah, well, it's an anthology series. I mean, I think it might have a little bit of pieces of stories in there, too. But I mean, it has Midnight Meat Train as part of Books of Blood, as well as Rawhead Rex. Yeah. Both all uh, prominent porns. Um, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> they they really missed they really missed the boat there on not not having two porns called Rawhead Rex and Midnight Meat Train. <laughs> uh, leave it up to Clive Barker, man. And once again, like I mentioned earlier, we did go into uh, Clive Barker's uh, you know uh, career there. And we talked a little deeper about all those things in episode 82. So go back and check that out. But uh, anyways, yeah, so to download your free audio book today, if any of that interests you, go to audibletrial.com slash spookshow. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash spookshow for your free audio book. So to summarize, now it's, it's going to be a little longer than the, the other ones, but, you know, I think it summarizes the movie fair, uh, fair enough. So I'll go ahead and read this off so we can get into the little roundtable discussion about the movie. Uh, in the past, they, it doesn't tell you how long ago it was, but what what would you say, Smoke? World War One, World War Two? The the, yeah, the flashback? Probably, probably World War One. That's what, kind of what I felt. World War One. I. I mean, the uniform looked more like that with the the pants and the you know the yeah. I mean, yeah, that that desert type helmet, whatever. It was. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking it was World War One, and I don't remember if they necessarily stated in the movie. Or no, not. I don't think they put a date on it or anything like that. And you're kind of inferring a lot just from the way he's dressed and everything like that. But, uh, he's a British military officer by the name of Elliot Spencer. And basically you see him transform into the Cenobite pinhead. You know, he basically he's, he's fucking around with that damn lament configuration box again. <laughs> the first mistake everybody makes and, uh, <laughs> twist, turn, pop, <laughs> bop it. And, uh, bam, <laughs> He's a Cenobite named Pinhead. Now you're, re, you're you know, you're reintroduced to Kirsty Cotton, remember, from the first movie, and she's admitted into a psychiatric hospital, you know, because of the events of the first one, and she's seen by Dr. Channard and uh, his assistant, Kyle. Uh, she basically pleads with them right there on the spot to destroy this bloody mattress that they found because she believes that her stepmother, Julia Cotton, remember, from the first one, she died on it, and if, uh, if you know, basically, she, that means she can come back from the dead if, uh, if you... Uh, keep this mattress. So, of course, the the, the doctor's like, mattress, eh? <laughs> um, because apparently he's secretly obsessed with the lament configuration and everything that that has to do with it. So uh, he has the mattress brought to his home, and then he, then he brings in one of the mentally ill patients to lie down on it and cut himself with a straight blade. Um, he bleeds on it, and the blood frees Julia from the Cenobite dimension. I'm sorry, the, the Cenobite thing keeps throwing me off because of Cenobon, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's an unfortunate uh uh you know f- uh term there <laughs> i just keep thinking about so yummy fun. delicious cinnamon rolls when i think about cenobites and i should not be thinking that <laughs> but anyways like hell whatever that is where the cenobites are uh that frees julia from there and uh kyle the assistant Having snuck inside uh, uh, Channard's house, he witnesses this and says, fuck, and then runs. Uh, <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Kirsty at the at the uh, psychiatric hospital meets a young patient named Tiffany who solves puzzles, uh, conveniently enough, right? Yeah, of uh, course. <laughs> she's like a silent savant who solves puzzles. <laughs> Perfect setup for this, for this uh, situation. Um, then later, Kirsty is awakened in a room by a vision of her skinless father, who tells her, and you know, like by writing blood on the wall, that he's in hell and to help him. Uh, Kyle comes back and tells Kirsty, like, I believe everything you've said now because I just saw a, a fucking meat lady come out of a mattress. <laughs> 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 so they they, they decide. Meat lady. <laughs> <laughs> meat lady. <laughs> 
So they decide to. So of course the natural reaction to this is okay. Well, we need to go back to Doctor Channard's house. And meanwhile, Doctor Channard, who is has been seduced by Julia, has brought a bunch of like uh, you know the mental patients to his house for her to feed on and regenerate. So now she's getting her skin back, right? Remember from the first movie, Frank, same yeah. deal. But then as soon as they come in the house, basically Kyle goes into the room and is instantly killed by Julia. And uh, now she is fully regenerated and uh, Kirsty gets knocked out. Uh, Channard and Julia kidnap Tiffany and they force her, you know, like I said, remember she's a savant with the puzzles. They convince her to unlock the lament configuration so they can enter the world of the Cenobites. They go in and of course Kirsty is following them. She actually has the lament configuration. Uh, Pinhead and the Cenobites find Kirsty like immediately and then tell her she's free to explore. Yeah, then, uh, we, we have eternity to know your name. Yeah. <laughs> so then, of course, Julia instantly betrays Dr. Channard and like uh, pushes him into this little, you know, hell phone booth or whatever. And it transforms him into a Cenobite by the god of hell, Leviathan. Kirsty encounters her old Uncle Frank, Frank Cotton. Remember him from the first movie? He's somewhere there <laughs> in the labyrinth in this weird morgue slab room that we'll we'll talk about here in a minute um who basically reveals that like yeah it wasn't your father calling out to it to you it was me i tricked you into coming here i was pretending to be your father again julia then appears and then destroys frank and uh revenge for killing her and then uh that allows kirsty to escape uh then julia is then killed by a vortex that opens within the labyrinth leaving only her skin behind so like so she's ate all these people, regenerated her skin's back, and then as soon as like they turn on the hell vacuum, it sucks her right out of her skin, and there's just a skin bag laying on the floor. <laughs> Kirsty and Tiffany, they find each other again, and then they attempt to escape, but then they're ambushed by Channard, who's now a, a full-on like fucking weirdo Cenobite with like this like hand thing on his head, and he's got like guitar string across his face, and. <laughs> Kirsty and Tiffany run and then they encounter Pithead and the Cenobites. Then Kirsty shows that remember that there was a she found a picture earlier of uh Pinhead when he was a human. She shows it to him and then Pinhead remembers and uh then Channard appears and then easily like de- defeats all the Cenobites. Like with basically like four slaps, they're all <laughs> they're all easily taken down and, and killed. Channer then uh, traps Kirsty and Tiffany. Uh, Kirsty finds Julia's skin and wears it <laughs> to to distract Channer, which gives Tiffany enough time to once again solve the you know the lament configuration puzzle box. And then Channer is killed, and the door to hell is finally closed. And then Kirsty and Tiffany you know run out you know just in time before the door closes. Uh, so then at the end of the movie, they're uh, Moving men are taking the uh, stuff out of uh, Channard's house. And uh, then there's that bloody mattress there. And then one dude is just straight up just pulled inside of it. And then the, uh, the another moving guy walks in like, what the fuck? And then a pillar rises up from the middle of the uh, of the mattress. And then all like I think all the Cenobites' faces are in it, right? Like there's like Pinhead and yeah. all the other ones. And then one of the uh, faces is that vagrant, that guy from the, you know, the beginning of the the first Hellraiser movie. And then that's the last line of the movie. What's your pleasure, sir? And then credits, sir. So. <laughs> oh, boy. There we go. Yeah. Hellbound, Hellraiser 2. First off, first off, this this is neither here nor there, but every time I hear the title Hellbound first, you know, Hellbound, Hellraiser 2, it makes me think of this uh, 80s metal song by Tigers of Pantang called Hellbound. That, I mean, that, that doesn't mean shit to the movie, but I mean, every time I hear it, that song starts going through my head. You you might be the only person that would go that deep into the uh, the the old music catalog there to pull that one out, man. That's a deep cut. It has nothing at all to do with Hellraiser or, or horror at all, or even being necessarily going to hell or anything. You know. <laughs> Depending on your view of listening to the devil's music. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, so what, it is British though. It's new wave of British heavy metal, so there's a connection. Yeah, well, there you go. So, wh- yeah. which one of you guys want to go first? What, what do we got here on this old round table here? Like, Donnie? Oh, man. You know, the uh, opening scene, you know, when they're, uh... oh, fuck. I just watched the damn movie today. Anyway, <laughs> I was, I, I made uh, a note, um, but no, there are some like, funny moments uh, when they're kind of reprising uh, everything. Anyway, the the shit scared me to fucking death when I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, now it's funny. You know, it's just, it's, it's kind of strange how you 
look at movies or scenes or whatever that you know once scared you as a kid and you're just like yeah yeah well it's like when uh you're a kid and you're going to school primary school elementary school whatever your school was called and then you go back some amount of years later and you realize the urinals and toilets are like two inches from the floor everything (laughs) seems like you just walked into a little person's world you know it's like everything's different from the way you remembered it being gigantic and huge when you were a kid it's no different than this like you know Not to mention, you know, obviously we've probably become more and more jaded the older we get because we like watching these movies. So, like, yeah, yeah, you know, it doesn't register the same way anymore, right? It doesn't have that that staying power with you that it did when you were a kid. But these probably have a different type of entertainment value now than they did 25 years ago for us. You know, and that's just, that's another good example of it. But what about how much of the, a good portion, I believe, of the first 25 minutes of this movie, really, you know, and that whole synopsis, the, the plot outline I just I just gave you, didn't really mention it. Like, easily a good portion of the first twenty minutes or so of this movie is just retelling the first movie. No, that has to be about the budget, right? Like, it has to have something to do with the budget. There, like, well, we can save a ton if we just cobble together clips of the uh, <laughs> of the first movie and just make that part of the runtime, right, Smoke? Yeah, that's that's yeah. This is definitely not the first movie to do that, and it's not the worst. It's not the worst perpetrator of that. I think that that award would have to go to Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. Because I think more than 50% of that movie is the first Silent Night, Deadly Night. Yeah. Of course, you do get the line, you know, it's garbage day, you know, near the end, whenever he <laughs> yeah. finally does go on the killing spree or yeah, whatever. But, that, but I mean, but but that's but all or- there, you pretty much go through the whole first movie again. Yeah, I was about to say, that's all original content by the time you get to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, yeah. 25 minutes or so. Of it go of rehashing the first movie in this one and, too, but yeah, it, it's like you said, it's not the most egregious uh, culprit of this ah. type of thing. I've seen worse for sure, but still, it's a good. I mean, wouldn't you say at least a good fifteen minutes or so is just dedicated to kind of like, you know, catching you up, and then here we're just gonna run through the whole fucking thing again, and uh, yeah, and then just kind of set you up to where you yep. know you're now you're on a new path. So that has to be budget. Even though the movie, the first movie had just come out the year before. <laughs> yeah, not it's like not, there was a big game. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like, say, the, the time. Yeah, last year. It's not like the time difference between, say, the first two Death Wish movies, you know, where it was like 10 plus years yeah. later, you know, like maybe, yeah. you, maybe you needed a recap on that. But with this, it was just a year ago. Yeah. <laughs> right, we, we did get to see a little bit of a, of a, a Pinhead creation. Like, like we yeah. talked about, it was supposed to be. Uh, more and you do end up getting more of it in Hellraiser three, but but I thought that was cool. I love seeing you know Doug Bradley outside of his you know makeup mm-hmm. and then the sort of semi origin or at least very very yeah. cliff notes short version of the origin. <laughs> yeah, that was cool. Yeah, and like you said, I know we get to more of that in the third one, but it's going to be interesting because like I've mentioned before, I haven't really watched much past say like the third or fourth one, so I'm interested to no, see if they. I'm interested to see if later on, say like fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh movie, whatever, somewhere in there, surely they have to do more of the origin of all this stuff, right? Yeah, it'll it'll be fresh to all of us, I guess. I yeah. don't know, Donnie. I don't know if you've seen any of too many of them beyond the third one either. I've uh, the last one I watched was Bloodline. Yeah, you've gone farther than I have already. Yeah. <laughs> now I, I did see the more one of the more recent ones that where it wasn't Doug Bradley, but the other actor playing Pinhead. I can't mm-hmm. remember the title of that one right offhand. I don't have the whole list in front of me, but that was only like, I think he's only missed. I think he has not been pinhead in like maybe two of them. Yeah. Yeah. It was the first one, I guess. I think the first one where he wasn't pinhead. Well, it was just, or maybe it was, it was, I'll put it this way. It's Hellraiser Judgment Day, whichever mm-hmm. one that was. Well, we'll get to all of them like we've talked about before. And then there's going yep. to be a new one, supposedly, at some point this year, you know, in the calendar year of 2022. So, in the um, uh, series as well. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. That we talked about that. So, yeah, there's, we got plenty of more pinhead coming our way. That's for sure, and all the rest, uh, including that one that's got CD stuck in their head, and in the, in the third one that <laughs> we got that one coming at us, coming at us too. But so uh, I guess you know I wrote a question: What's with the various crazies in the basement? But I guess we kind of came to the conclusion there what that was, right? It's just uh, Channard's a you know fucking psychopath that uh, yeah. <laughs> is basically running experiments on the fourth level of hell or whatever on these guys down in the basement. No. Um, but what about when Kyle uh, goes into Channard's office and finds all the weird things? He's his his over the top disbelief of everything. Like, what the fuck, Jesus? What the hell? Everything he sees, like, 
<laughs> he sees a, a, a coffee cup sitting there. What is this? You know, <laughs> it's all over the top. It's probably a good time to, to mention that he always he he that actor and I don't know if it was written this way the script or if it was him improvising, but he would repeat things times. Yeah, you know, yeah. he would say something and then say it again for, for emphasis. I guess I don't yeah. know. There was also uh, <laughs> uh, when they were. Uh, I think it was was it Julia and uh, uh, Channard. They were uh, kind of making. I guess they were making out, and I, I guess that was was that a uh, uh, Cenobite uh, vag or was that just a skinless vag? <laughs> I mean, it's, you talking about with Julia or? I yeah, I believe it was Julia. Yeah. Well, see now, I don't. I I, I guess it's not Cenobite. I don't think she was turned into a Cenobite. I think she was just like. Um, oh, yeah, she was just skinless, yeah. skinless edge. <laughs> well, yeah, the meat lady. <laughs> and the midnight meat lady. Midnight meat lady. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Who gets who gets just sucked right out of her skin, <laughs> and then there's just a skin bag laying on the laying on the floor. Uh, yeah, the midnight I, meat lady meets the uh, rawhead Rex. So when do we get that? We're, one? we're we're not going to do a good job when we're watching these Hellraiser movies of describing and trying to make sense of any of these things. To be honest with you, because <laughs> I think only Clive Barker could come in here and like, yeah, this is what I was. This is what I meant. This, this, this. You know, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's hard to explain a lot of it, including the fun house from hell. Like when they go down into the the labyrinth and everything, and like all of a sudden it's like a fucking fun house or a carnival or something. Like, I guess it's like. <laughs> What your own visions of hell or something when you go when you go into this place? I guess is kind of the thing. Yeah. So I, 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 again, I don't know if maybe it was a budgetary thing and they scaled the sets back or whatever. But I know the whole thing of Leviathan kind of reminds me of a little bit of a Lovecraftian vibe there because Lovecraft a lot of his not his creatures, but there was a lot of talking of geometric shapes and things coming out of these geometric angles and all that stuff, and so. Leviathan kind of reminds me of a Lovecraftian type mm. entity, I guess. Cthulhu. Uh, but yeah, I know it's definitely kind of underwhelming, <laughs> at least as far in terms of like well, yeah, it's cinematic just like, creatures it's just like a, of hell that you would think. It's you know? just like a spinning top, isn't it, right? <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Noticed uh, M.C. Escher puzzle in there as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was ex- I was expecting to see them like walking like up a up a stair <laughs> and then they come out and they're going down the stairs and shit like that but they didn't have that kind of budget it's just here's, <laughs> here's a painting and then like all right now let's cut to them walking down a hallway kind of thing they, they did have that budget for Jim Henson's Labyrinth though remember David Bowie's walking down the M C Escher uh... yeah yeah I'm oh, sure yeah. they had a much bigger budget for that <laughs> no doubt <laughs> than than uh, compared to this you uh, talk about the uh, you know the maze. Uh, there was one time when uh, Christy, I think it's uh, Christy, I don't, I don't think the uh, the other girl, I don't, I don't fucking know her name. Tiffany. But, uh, I don't think she was with her at this point, but uh, there's, a, there's a scene where uh, Christy's running through the maze and she leans up against this wall and the wall just kind of shakes like <laughs> it's made out of rubber. <laughs> I noticed, I saw something where like it was, it was cloth or something like that that I yeah. think. <laughs> something, just like boo. And it's not because they're in like some weird level of hell. It's just cheap budget kind of, kind of stuff. Like it's not. Yeah, that's what it's it not meant to be that way. What about the whole Frank scene? Like, what the fuck? The, <laughs> I mean, the entire thing. Like, you know, I, I get it. Like, uh, it, it was Frank all along that drew Kirsty down in there for whatever fucking reason. I guess he just he wanted right. her. Uh, was there ever yeah. a real reason for it? Like, well, before, before we go further into this, there was a thing of. The actor that played her father in the first movie—I can't remember his, his name escapes me right now—but his character was written into the second movie, but the actor did not want mm-hmm. to play it again for whatever reason, and so they had to rewrite that because initially it was supposed to be her dad, you know, trying to get her to come help get him out of hell or whatever. But you know, they had to rewrite it with it being Frank trying to lure into hell, lure her into hell now and into his hell or whatever. So that's why it was kind of. Things were yeah. rewritten at the time, so I don't know if that's why it didn't make quite as much, you know, didn't gel together as well as it would have with the original script if the, you know, her dad had come back, the actor who played her dad had come back or whatever. Yeah, that that little, uh, just that bit that uh, you know, forty five minutes or so that I watched of that Leviathan documentary, uh, they they did mention it, and they actually had an interview with him about it, and it was basically like, yeah, like he didn't see the point of him coming back, like you know, they they had him there, he was going to be in it, like you said up until like maybe about two weeks before they started filming, he was going to be a part of it. But then like 
I guess once he got the script, he just didn't really like, he didn't like the way his part, like he didn't see a point for him to be there. So the writer, uh, Peter Adkins, his interview, he was, he said, uh, not that he didn't like the guy or anything. He said, but he was kind of uh, secretly happy that he didn't want to do it because he didn't think it made sense for him to be there to begin with. Cause he said, well, her dad didn't do anything to be in hell. Why would he be in hell? You know, he, he, yeah. was, he was one of the few good people in that movie. Right. So there'd be no reason for him to be hanging around in hell, uh, you know, wanting Christy, Kirsty to come find him. So he was like, thankfully when he bowed out that, that made the story more, make more sense that it would have been Frank trying to, uh, you know, lure her in or whatever instead of her dad. But like with the Frank thing though, it didn't make a lot of sense. Like as far as it, what was his end game? Like, all right, Kirsty's here. Yeah. What, what did he want to do with her? Like, what's this all about? Like, yeah. <laughs> ha ha, you're here. Well, what do you do now? I, I don't know. I, I, I got you here. That's all I had. That that part didn't make a, a lot of sense. And then just the imagery of the whole scene. These weird morgue slabs sliding in and out with these bloody women under the sheets just writhing like they're having sex with ghosts or something. Uh, and they'd slide in and out. And, like, it'd come back and they'd be gone. And then they'd come back and there they are again. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of a weak hell for him. I mean, after a while, you probably get used to it. Like, okay, they're just ghosts. I'm not going to get anything. So it's just whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's just rubbing one out or whatever. Look, <laughs> I guess I'm <laughs> doing It looked like he had pretty comfortable quarters for hell. That's for sure. Yeah. There's like a little makeup cor- uh, table in the corner, you know, and stuff. Like, it didn't look all that terrible, I guess, considering. I just didn't know what the hell the end game was. And then, like, the whole thing, like, you know, start to finish is less than 10 minutes of the movie. You know, <laughs> this no. seems like a huge plot yeah. device. Like, all right, we finally got her here. What do we do now? Ah, fuck if I know. Let's make some uh, some some bloody women come in and out on slabs. Oh, that'll be cool. All right, well, Frank's dead. <laughs> I don't know, it's just weird. Yeah, and she rips his heart out, like, uh, <laughs> like straight out of Temple of Doom. Yeah. Kalima. <laughs> I guess that's what it was. Like, all right, well, we got to have some reason to get Frank here just so Julia can have her revenge moment, right? And I then guess. she delivered the same line that Frank delivered on her in the first movie, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that line says, uh... I have such sights to show you. <laughs> yeah, she did say that, yeah. Yeah. She got it in this time. And like I mentioned when we were talking about the movie, oh, oh Super Channered. <laughs> I say that because like, it's like, you know, in Shredder and Ninja Turtles 2, <laughs> he's Super Shredder. <laughs> when he becomes a Cenobite, he's fucking Super Channered. But he's like super powered. He's like overpowered because he takes out all the Cenobites like nothing. Like, Pinhead included. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Almost no effort. Like, bam, fuck you. Bam, fuck you. Like, they just... <laughs> And they just turn back into humans, you know, like briefly before, yeah. you know. You, you would think, I mean, how long have they been in this corporeal form in hell and, you know, these almost immortal beings and then these little tentacle arrows from Super Shannon's hand kill them? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, like, and then, and then how he gets defeated, right? I mean, since we're talking about him, we'll just go ahead and skip to it. How he goes down, like, his little claws just get stuck in the ground. <laughs> oh, yeah. he, he, like, shoots them at her feet, like, oh, no! And then that that's what takes him down. It's like it's like that old Simpsons bit like in Treehouse of Horror when Lisa comes up and kicks Mr. Burns is like it's Bram Stoker's Dracula, Mr. Burns is Dracula. Lisa just comes up and kicks him in the shin. He's like, Oh, how did you know my weakness was my enchanted shin? And then he just falls falls over and dies. It's like that. Like what the fuck? He just sticks some claw, these claws that just took out four Cenobites, by the way. He just gets them stuck in the ground and like, oh, no, boom. You know, he, he's dead. It, oh, it, it made little to no sense. It was a little weak. Meanwhile, you got, the, you got the Leviathan top spinning in the sky shooting out black lights, you know. <laughs> and then when they're running away, there's just little sperms flying through the air at them. <laughs> beam, 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 beam. <laughs> oh, man. It sounds like I hated this movie, but I really didn't. So, I mean, you look at... So uh, I guess the final question is, what the hell? The ending? Like, like you know, did hate this movie though. Cisco and Ebert hated this movie. <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah. How often do we ever it's... talk about them loving something on this fucking show? Anytime they come up, it's like, oh, they hated it. You know. <laughs> Funny that they. That just, uh, I think I heard. I was listening to something that uh, that had them. Well, it might have been. Well, both of them. I think we're talking about it. And it being just uh, you could come into the movie at any point. And watch it, and it, you wouldn't be lost. <laughs> <laughs> true, especially if you. That part might be true, but I mean, that, 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 there is truth there, especially if you'd seen the first one. Like you know, if you'd seen that and you know what's going on, yeah, absolutely, you can walk in. You could just pretty much skip to the last fifteen minutes of this movie. 
<laughs> oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, we get it. Hell and all. Yeah. Uh, so what about the ending? What y'all think? Uh, I mean, were you satisfied? Were you like, what the fuck? I mean, Don- Donnie, what do <laughs> oh, you think about the ending? That's a dumbass ending. <laughs> I, just, I just, it was like, I don't know. I just, just, you know, just like, just like you mentioned, uh, you know, with Channard, just super Channard. It's sort of like, uh, you know, like, uh, Darth Maul. Darth Maul was badass enough to fight two Jedi at one time and then, you know, gets cut in half and then you never yeah, see him again. Yeah. 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 So, uh, but no, uh, and what about the very end though? Like what's your pleasure, mister? That, you know, like the, the whole, God. the whole pillar thing, like what? Yeah. It uh, honestly, it, it kind of looked like those old CD towers that we used to fucking get at uh, fucking Best Buy. Those little fucking things that spin around and shit. I was like, <laughs> You could put like a hundred CD, like a hundred yeah. cases in it, and just spin it around. Hmm. Time for Chumbawamba. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, man. It was. Uh, eh, there's not really a whole lot of a whole lot in the movie that made any sense. Didn't like the ending though. I think in I, this weird Clive Barker world, it makes sense, you know. But like, you got to go to that place to really dig it. You know what I mean? Like to really understand it. I guess. I'm Smoke, good. Smoke. What do you think of the ending and, and the whole pillar thing and just chandered and all that stuff? I, I think it. I think it was another victim of the budget. I think I did read somewhere or somewhere where that they had to, they scaled that back too, and they just had the you know the, the spinning poles coming up out of the mattress. But I mean, I I, I appreciate the uh, the one liner at the end though. The uh, the whole you know what's your pleasure? So. Yeah, <laughs> a little call back to the first one. The whole spinning pole thing with the things on it because that was it was like that you know in the first movie too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. Pole like thing. that whole pole thing. Yeah, I think in the first movie it was like hanging from the ceiling or something, right? I didn't even think about that. Like yeah, they so, had the, I mean, the chains had, and stuff. And... Kind of in a way, it's kind of typical of that time period too. Of the movies, kind of like you know, you had this, the moving guys coming in and they're doing the you know, yeah. It was a setup to the third movie, so mm-hmm. to speak. So it was, it was in a way, it's very much of its time. It's just uh, Clive Barkerized. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> still kind of the same sort of let's throw this out let's throw it to another movie to a third one but i'm gonna do it you know i'm gonna do it my way and it's gonna be weird <laughs> you know these days it's like the device is uh there's the cut scene you know like somewhere like here's the tr- here's the credits somewhere in the middle of the credits or after the credits there's a cut scene to set up some type of sequel that's kind of the thing now back then like you said right it was usually like the last thing you would see and and the device the device was always the end question mark, you know, <laughs> that was, that was their thing back then. And that was, this is definitely, you got more of that in this case. In the case of the first Hellraiser movie going into this one, I don't even think that the first one had barely come out in the theaters when they were in the process of, of shooting the second one. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. They, uh, this was actually already got greenlit before, um, yeah, before the release of the first one. It makes sense. I mean, because I, I, I pulled up my notes here from the first one. That one came out May 13th of 87. So uh, you're only, what, roughly a year and a half or so later when this movie was released. Yeah, I mean, and I, and I think they didn't have any idea at the time of how popular Pinhead and the other Cenobites were going to be. No. From the first movie, you know, and I think that's why they kind of like kind of expanded them. That might be one of the reasons why they're only in the movie for about, I don't know, roughly 20, 25 minutes of screen time because if you think about it the Cenobites they weren't in it that much they were in it here a little bit at the beginning and then they show back up a little bit at the end mm. and a little bit in the middle but most of it was Christy and uh, I mean was it Christy? Kirsty. yeah Kirsty. yeah mm-hmm. and uh, you know they, just them exploring hell and running into Frank and actually I think Frank and Julia were supposed to be the main villains of the piece of the first and the second movie really yeah, uh, it, you know the popularity of Pinhead and the Cenobites kind of you know took hold, and they expanded the characters a little bit more in later movies. That was one thing that was pointed out in that Leviathan documentary is that apparently some people were talking um, when they made this movie that they wanted Julia to kind of be, for for lack of a better comparison, a new Freddy. It's kind of what their yeah. vision was. They kind of wanted her to be like a female Freddy or something like that. Yeah. And that's kind of the direction they were going, but then she just didn't want any of that, you know. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I'm good. Yeah, I don't know why they would have thought that. I mean, you got here. You got Pinhead. This guy with needles, pins, whatever, rammed in his head, and he's Doug Bradley, and he's very energetic and personable. You know, his character. Yeah. He's got a great character. Yeah, I don't know why you want to like take the movie. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, why would you not want to build on that and that energy that, you know, like you mentioned? Oh, yeah, I mean, like, you think of the, the, the Pantheon, the uh, whatever phrase you want to use, the uh, um, of the great horror icons. You think Freddie Jason, Michael Myers, Leatherface, and Pinhead's probably right there, right? I mean, I think we briefly talked about that when we did Hellraiser. I mean, like, if, yeah. if he's not five, he's like, you know, six or seven or something. I mean, there might be somebody, you know, some major icon I'm forgetting, but he's right there, you know, like, now. But even then, I'd say, Smoke, you might recall, you know, by this point, but the second one, I think Pinhead was kind of the standout, right? Like, that's the one of the Cenobites and everything that you kind of, like, everybody gravitated towards, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And like, he wasn't even written that way in the novel, in the novella, The Hellbound Heart. Mm-hmm. Really didn't. I, he didn't even have a name. I, I don't know that they really called him Pinhead any time in the movie either. I think the people on the set. Yeah, I think he just. Yeah, yeah, I, nope. I think it just kind of became the name, but yeah, I don't think he was ever officially like, "Hey, here comes Pinhead," you know. So yeah, even in the novels, they didn't have a big role. They just were part of the story, and I think it wasn't until the makeup, you know, they came up with a look of them, and then on screen, and then Doug Bradley's personality and everything just gelled really well, and they became the focus, <laughs> especially Pinhead. Yeah. And as they say, oh, the, and, the rest is history. Yeah. Yep. And it, speaking of the Cenobites too, there was uh, the Chatterer. You know, there was a whole thing of that actor, like, complaining about not being able to see because the original Chatterer didn't have eyes, you know. So, so I guess they had to, like, walk him. I don't know how he acted or what he did, what he did, you know, how he did it. But and Or even if it was the same actor or not, I'm not sure about that. But whoever played the role of Chatterer in the second movie wanted eyes so he could see what he was doing, where he was going or whatever. And, and so they gave Chatterer eyes, and there was a lot of people pissed off about that because, I mean, it messes with the continuity. And he, yeah. Really, I mean, for me, and, for my money, too, he looks better without eyes. I mean, the character. And they're they're messing with the continuity continuity in the same movie because at the beginning of the movie he's got no eyes. And oh then, yeah, yeah. And then <laughs> later, yeah. and then later yeah. in the movie he's got eyes. Yeah, it's, it, that didn't make any sense. Well, it was something like like uh, he, he walked into like a hook. He took like a hook to the jaw or something like that, right? Wasn't that part of it? Like you know the, the, those hooks. No, the, yeah, those hooks and chains hanging down. He's like, no, fuck this. You can put some eyes on this thing. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so I guess uh, the time has come. Let's go ahead and uh, our, give our final thoughts and our, our star ratings here. So, Donnie, I guess I'll toss to you first. What, what do you got? Oh, man, you know, like like we've already mentioned, you know, it, the story gets kind of flimsy at times, and it's uh, Smoke, smoke uh, had mentioned, uh, you know, good deal about the budget, which which we have, you know, budget concerns, budget constraints. Um, there was one particular, uh, scene, uh, at the hospital, uh, when, uh, Channard is walk, walking around and God damn it, the fucking camera is shaking. And I, it's like, they gave the tot they gave a toddler. It was like, here, shoot this. And, it, and it's not that bad, but it, it, it's, it took me out of it. You know, it drove me bananas, but, uh, and there was a couple of other times that that happened, happened there as well that affected, affected now, me. Now to that, I will add, you know, something we should point out. I'm pretty sure this was like Tony Randall's first directing gig. Mm. So, There's some, now I don't, I don't, I don't really know about, uh, um, him specifically, but, um, there are some directors that, um, they don't sit behind the camera. They actually, they're, they're more so, uh, leading the actors, uh, in the performance and, you know, the cinematographer will, uh, um, either, you know, like the scene or, you yeah, know, yeah. be behind the camera. I don't know. I, I don't know exactly who you'd blame that on. Would you blame it on the director? Would you blame it on the cinematographer? Or, <laughs> would, you, or would you blame it on the editor? You know, like that. <laughs> I don't know. I would say blame the editor, but, uh, <laughs> I'm just well, well, that's just because I'm an editor, but <laughs> that's right. Uh, I, I would yeah. say to that, I would say uh, it's up to the director and cinematographer to get enough uh, shots in the can. Yeah, you, know, you got to watch the dailies. Yeah, give you know, me five, six, seven options, options so I'm not choosing the shaky ass shot. You know that that's what a lot would say. But yeah, yeah it's, one, it's it's one of those people. I can you know at the end of the day, maybe maybe a producer, right? But it's one of them. Those are the main detractors uh, for me. But um, you know, as we have already mentioned you know it, it, it's it is ridiculous but it's a lot of fun too mm. uh, you know it's uh and smoke would you know certainly well you as well uh would certainly ag- agree with uh um any sort of practical effects you know or or uh de- definitely gets a bump 
uh, in my opinion, uh, you know, for me, uh, definitely. And I, I believe that this had, I don't know, I would say maybe it did have a little bit more gore. I'll leave that uh, to Smoke to judge, but uh, my star rating is three. Let me get a solid three stars. Like we said earlier, Will isn't here, obviously, so we'll get his rating and everything later on. Uh, but Smoke, I'll toss to you. What you got? Yeah, this is a uh, part two. As we discussed, it sort of uh, <laughs> takes you know the budget had budget issues. It was it repeated a little bit of the first movie, kind of telling it at the beginning of this one. Took some time to do that. It did have a great practical effect, and I think it had a little bit more gore this time around. That's in the the fact that it was rated X originally by the MPAA, and then they had to cut it to get the R rating, I guess. And then then they released it unrated on uh, VHS. And uh, I never saw it in the theater, as we mentioned in the beginning. The first time I saw it was on VHS in that uncut version. I've never seen the R-rated version. Would never have any reason to see the R-rated version. If you got the unrated version, you know, unless you're squeamish for some reason about the gore, there's probably no real reason to go seek out the R-rated version. The practical effects were great. The stop motion effects, they had a little bit of stop motion in there, uh, especially with the yeah. Super Chenard's uh, tentacle hand thing, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm a fan of uh, stop motion in general. Ray Harryhausen's great stop motion effect. And I'm a fan of stop motion. But this one, I think maybe the budget, and they probably didn't have the time to take to make it a bit more quality of, uh, I guess, stop motion. Because <laughs> it's real fast and it's real jerky. You know, when they come out. Usually, you know, those things, of course, take a lot of time to do. You get one frame at a time. And you get more realistic shots the less you move position, you know, the smaller you make the movements of what you're doing the stop motion to. So they were probably rushed a little bit budgetary from that. So, But it wasn't terrible. We'll get to the gore score, but it, I think it did up the ante a little bit, and that's always good in my book anyways. It added to the story, I think, of Hellraiser, of the franchise. It it brought it, you know, you got to see Hell, which that's cool. You know, they, they talk about these things in the first movie where they're, you know, they, they open the box, the lament configuration, things come out of it, but you, and, you know, some demons and things happen. Yeah, but you don't really get the depth of Hell yet. Uh, unfortunately, due to the budgetary concerns, we still don't get that epic feel that you, we probably would have had if they'd had a bigger budget. But uh, I thought it was pretty cool. You get to explore these different areas. I'd say overall, I'm going to go with, uh, I, I agree with Donnie. I'm going to echo Donnie's uh, rating of uh, three stars for Hellraiser 2 for me. Myself, I'm not too far behind y'all, but I am behind you. I'm going to go with two and a half stars. This one just didn't grab me story-wise like the first one did. And, you know, and I've seen it a number of times in the past. It's just, you know, I, I can't say that it got any better. You know, it's been a little while since I watched it, but it hasn't been that long ago. You know, I, I can't argue with three, you know, I, I, and I'd probably be right there if, if it just made a little bit more sense. You know, I know it's Clive Barker and there's going to be certain aspects of it that just don't make any damn sense to anybody but him. Right. You know, <laughs> it jumps around a little bit too much for my liking story wise. Um, I, I appreciate the practical effects and I appreciate a lot of what they were trying to do here. Um, and, it, and like you said, it does kind of advance the story of Pinhead and some things. That I definitely like that aspect of it, um, but I guess it's the budget and everything. You know, I don't know. It just didn't. It just didn't gel for me as much as the first one. So it, you know, I'm gonna go a little lower. But it's not that I I didn't like it. I enjoyed it. It's fun. Uh, you know, there's some stuff you can laugh at. You know, um, it's just it's just, you got too many questions. You know, I've got to like you know, there's too many what the fucks. You know, with this movie for me to <laughs> to really say that I loved it. You know, so I'm gonna go with two and a half. I'm I'm really interested to see what Will's gonna have to say about it. Just based <laughs> on the fact that he did not like the first one, I'm gonna say he probably ain't gonna like this one much more. But hey, you never know. You just never know. You know, maybe this one grabs him or something. You know, and we'll we'll find out. Uh, first chance we get once we get him back in the room, so to speak. I guess uh, you know, with, with the star ratings out of the way, and, and you know, since he hasn't gave us uh, his score, I won't go with an official consensus score on it just yet. So obviously, though, two threes and a two and a half, you're going to be somewhere in that three star range, you know, until we find out uh, what Will's ranking is. So, uh, Donnie, I guess I'll toss to you first for uh, your bit. Connections from the crates. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So um, there were actually a couple of, I mean, you know, we know Clive Barker. We know, um, you know, if, well, basically every, every movie, um, if you can work with some of the same team, you know, from, you know, a previous franchise, or I'm sorry, a, a previous film with the within the same franchise, you always try to. And there were multiple, 
multiple of these with uh, you know past connections to the to the first uh, Hellraiser. But that said, there were uh, there was one that stuck out that had more connections, uh, and that was uh, the composer, which is Christopher Young. Uh, Christopher Young, um, he dates back to um, Trick or Treat from 1986. Also, Hellraiser 1 and then Hellraiser 2. Um, and actually, Hellraiser 2 won a Saturn Award uh, for the best music. Yeah, it was a pretty solid soundtrack. You know, we didn't go, we didn't really mention that at all. Epic feel to it. I mean, he, you know, I think the first soundtrack was excellent, too. That was, you heard that song, too. You heard the Hellraiser theme song on a lot of things back then, I remember. Even there's like a MTV horror, MTV had a This Is Horror or some kind of segment they had for a while. And that was like one of the main themes for that Hellraiser. Mm-hmm theme was for that show and uh and then i think he expanded a little bit more on it for hellraiser too it did have a little bit more epic feel to fit with the scenes in hell i guess so with will not being with us we don't have an official uh kill count but we'll go ahead and toss to you professor gore score Oh yeah, now now we finally get to another juicy one uh anyway as we had already mentioned it was originally an x rating and mpaa you know, told them it's going to be an X if they released it the way it was. So they had to go and trim it up, get the R rating again, put it back in the the video release for it and the unrated version. And uh, that that scene with the mattress, the, the mattress scene where they had they had a guy from the basement level of the uh, insane asylum, the guy who had like who was imagining bugs were crawling all over him. You know, and he throws him on the mattress and gives him a razor or whatever. And the guy, of course, thinking the bugs are crawling all over him, he splashes himself up bleeding all over the place i mean that was pretty brutal i mean that was that's one of those things where it goes beyond the like we talked about this before in some of these gore score ratings when you got something that's just sort of fun splatter effects and then when you got something that goes into that brutal kind of crosses the line into like uncomfortable territory i guess you could say that 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 scene almost does pretty much there i mean he's just like just going to town on himself splashing oh yeah it does yeah plenty all throughout the movie and then you have chenard turning into super chenard or whatever where it's uh, (laughs) The piano wire, guitar, wire, you know, string thing yeah. over his face, cutting into skin, and then the uh, the whole uh, well, his death scene of half his head getting pulled off. And mm, that was cool. Yeah, and, and what, what about toward the beginning when you're introduced to Channard, uh when he's got like the that patient skull open? Mm. Oh yeah, yeah, poking at the brain. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there was a lot of gore in this. One. Oh yeah, and also Chad, I, I you know, like I've said before, I usually try to try to digress to uh, Chaz Balin's gore score since this is. The concept for the gore score on our show is based on Chaz Balin's gore score in his uh, Deep Red magazine. And uh, he did do Hellraiser, too. And he did Hellraiser. I don't remember if I mentioned his rating for Hellraiser, but his, his rating for the gore score on Hellraiser and Hellraiser 2 were exactly the same, and he rated them a 10. <laughs> wow. This time, though, I'm going to diverge a little bit from, from Chaz. Now, we've had more things come along down the pipe now that are vastly more gory mm. than Hellraiser 2. And that's not to take away how gory this movie is, but I think, uh, I think I'm going to back it down a little bit. I, I gave Hellraiser an eight. Remember that, that gore score. And, uh, and I think that was, I think that's accurate reflection of it. This movie has a little bit more in it. I, I, I mean, not a whole lot more. Cause I mean, the first yeah. movie was pretty gory, but I think it does have a little bit more gore. And especially, like I said, that, that mattress scene, the guy tearing himself up on there, that's yeah. <laughs> right there up the ante a little bit. And, uh, and that, yeah, the head yeah. open, and they basically, sure. and they basically also replay all of the gore from the first one. You know, like yeah, yeah, you know. and you get that, yeah, and you, you see Pinhead getting uh, his create, you know, getting getting slashed with a knife to make the lines where the pins get hammered in. Or mm-hmm. Yeah, plenty of hooks tearing in the flesh as you would expect. So I think I, for this one, I think I'm going to go for for a nine. I'm going to bump it up a little bit beyond uh, the first Hellraiser movie, and I'll give it a I'll give it a nine. That might be a little generous. I mean. I, I can't give it an eight because I gave Hellraiser an eight. Now, yeah. we, we're not doing the end of the you know business of re-rating the gore score, but yeah. Yeah. if I did have to do it over again, I might have backed it down to seven and then give this one an eight. But yeah. hey, it's in the can. It's not that big a deal. See, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. But some people will think this movie, some people that haven't seen that much gore will think this movie, the first Hellraiser movie is above a 10, if it could be above a 10, you know. It's all where you're at, what level of movies you've seen. So I try to, I try to keep big picture in mind. There's movies that we haven't got to on yeah, this yeah. podcast yet. Yeah. 
and, more gory than anything we've done so far, including Terrifier. Uh, so that, that'll pretty much put a wrap up on uh, uh, Hellbound, Hellraiser 2. And like I said, you know, we're into the series now, so we'll be getting around to Hellraiser 3 sooner or later, probably in the next few months or so, uh, depending on what we've got scheduled and coming up and everything. One last little note on Hellbound here, Hellraiser 2, before we check out the critics' scores, just to compare to what we just gave it. Uh, IMDb gave it six and a half stars out of 10 and, uh, on Metascore or Metacritic, the Metascore was 41. That's out of a hundred similar or although a little higher over on Rotten Tomatoes on the tomato meter out of that's out of 30, uh, critic reviews as of, you know, recording this episode, it got a, uh, 50%. And then the audience score was actually 58% and that's uh, over 25,000 ratings over there. So, you know, uh, I, I guess that's pretty much fair with what we were saying there you know it's kind of a you know middle ground on all these things so yeah, i just thought i'd throw that out there before we check out so uh, our next episode episode 98 uh, next week will be a spook show spotlight uh, we're going to call it 100 years of horror 1922 we're going to go back and talk about uh, i believe it was like six horror movies that came out in 1922 so how often do you get a chance to talk about something that came out 100 years ago right so we're going to uh, pause and kind of celebrate uh, those movies and talk about them a little bit, you know, especially since we're nearing the, an the 100th anniversary of the release of Nosferatu. I guess that's really all we need to say here this week, guys. Um, uh, hopefully we'll get Will's rating here pretty soon so you can see what he had to say about Hellraiser 2. And then don't forget, we got episode 100, big things cooking um, for our big, uh, you know, anniversary episode there. So for uh, Will and for Donnie and the Professor Smoke, I'm Josh. We are the All-American Spook Show Horror Podcast. We'll talk to you next week. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Good night.